You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let me begin by saying thank you to Calvary Chapel Modesto and, of course, to Pastor Damien for allowing me to be here with you. I have personally received from this pulpit over the years, listened to many Bible studies from this church that have blessed me and encouraged me in my faith and ministry. With that being said, if you would open up your Bibles now to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 13, and I'd like to share a message with you entitled, A Man After God's Own Heart. And in 1 Samuel chapter 13, I want to draw your attention beginning in verse 5, if you'd follow along. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmas to the east of Beth-Avon. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, and the people hid in caves and thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. And then he waited seven days, according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring me a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now what happened? As soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came. And Samuel went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmas. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and I offered a burnt offering. Verse 13, and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Let's pray together, men. Father, we thank you now for your word and we pray that you would open up the eyes of our understanding that we may comprehend what the Spirit would say unto the church today. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The nation of Israel had a very special relationship with God as compared to the other nations that surrounded them. The Lord had said through Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter 7 that Israel was to be a holy people unto the Lord their God. That the Lord had chosen them to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all peoples on the face of the earth. But the Lord also informed the nation why it was that he selected them. 
It was not because they were more in number than any people. It wasn't because they were so great or so mighty. In fact, they were the least of all the peoples. They were also stubborn and they were very stiff-necked. But the Lord said it was because of his love for the people that he chose them. And because they were a chosen people, they had a unique relationship with God in that they functioned as a theocracy. Meaning that God was their king. Jehovah God was the one guiding, directing, protecting, and providing for them. And it was the Lord's desire for his people as Isaiah had prophesied in Isaiah chapter 49 that they would be a light unto the nations. However, when the nation of Israel went into the promised land to take their allotted territories, many of them were either unwilling or unable to drive out their adversaries. And rather than being a light to the nations, they ended up becoming just like the other nations and they began to serve their idols. Israel grew tired of being a theocracy. They didn't want judges to rule over them any longer. They grew weary of listening to the prophets telling them God's will for the nation. And so they demanded to become a monarchy. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the Bible tells us that the elders and the leaders came to the prophet Samuel and they said these words, Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. They didn't want to be a peculiar people any longer. And when Samuel heard the news, the Bible says that he was displeased and he took their request to the Lord. And the Lord said these words to the prophet. He said, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. And Samuel began then to inform the people prophetically of the behavior of their king. The king would take their sons, the king would take their daughters, the best of the land he'd take of the flocks, of their herds. He would lead them into war and bloodshed. And it would come to pass, the Lord said, in that day that the people would then cry out to God for deliverance, but he would not listen unto their cries. But even with this solemn warning from Samuel, the people refused to obey and they demanded a king to rule over them. And so the first king of Israel was selected whose name was Saul. And Saul started out very well. He had many natural qualities that made him a viable candidate for king in the eyes of the people. For one thing, he was head and shoulders above every other man. That is, he looked like a king. He looked like he fit the part. He would be a perfect leader in the people's estimation. And at the beginning, Saul seemed to be a good fit. The Bible tells us that the Lord gave him a new heart, that he was anointed, and the Spirit of God came upon him, so much so that he even prophesied. And if that wasn't enough, the Lord had surrounded him with valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But over time, Saul began to change. He began to walk in a pattern of consistent disobedience to the word of the Lord. And when he was confronted with his sin, he made it a practice to make excuses. And the heart of Saul that at one time appeared humble and pliable and dependent upon God now became arrogant, completely calloused and immovable. And by the way, that can happen to any man who refuses to obey the word of God. 
This disobedience of Saul then came to a climactic moment as the Philistines we read had set themselves in battle array with 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and a number in their army that you could not number because there were so many of them. And the fear of the coming invasion, Saul's men fled and they hid in caves. The situation looked desperate and something had to be done. Saul had been instructed by Samuel to wait for his arrival to make a sacrifice entreating the help of the Lord. But nevertheless, in a moment of panic, Saul disobeyed God's commands saying that he felt compelled and he offered a sacrifice in Samuel's stead and as the smoke began to ascend from the altar, Samuel arrived. And Samuel rebuked Saul, confronted him, saying, What have you done? And Saul responded about his decision of disobedience, and he made excuses. He blamed Samuel. He blamed the people. He even blamed the enemy. And then Samuel rebuked Saul with some of the most, in my opinion, startling words that I have read, which serve as a warning to everyone who would seek to serve the Lord. For in verse 13, these words, listen carefully, Samuel said, Now the Lord would have established your kingdom forever. In other words, this is what I wanted to do with your life. This was my plan for you. This is something that I wanted to do with you. And yet because you refuse to obey, you are missing out on the best that I could do with your life. This is what I wanted to do. Guys, we don't ever want to come to the place in our life where we hear the Lord say to us, this is what I wanted to do with you. This was my intention for you. This was my perfect will for you. Now you're walking in the permissible will of God or somehow you've missed the best that God has for you because of disobedience. We never want to hear the Lord say, this is what I wanted to do in your marriage with you and your wife. But because you were unwilling to repent and humble yourself and apologize, I can't work. This is what I wanted to do with you and your relationship to your son, to your daughter. But because you're unwilling to invest in them, to disciple them, this is something that, that's not going to happen. The Lord says, this was my plan for your ministry. But now, things have changed. We never want to hear this from the Lord. We want all that the Lord has for us. We don't want to miss out on anything that God wants to do in and through our lives. We never want to be a roadblock in the way of the Holy Spirit's work within us. If we are unwilling to obey or we've chosen to compromise or, or we've made excuses for our decisions to pursue the flesh and we want to do what we think is best rather than what God says is best. Saul was a man, listen carefully, after his own heart, not a man after God's heart. Perhaps the Holy Spirit may be already this morning speaking to you in light of what Pastor Nate shared and now entering into this time together. And you may be here, a man today who's on the edge of a precipice and you know that it's going to end in destruction. You're getting as close to the edge as you can possibly get and for some reason it's exciting to you. Even though you know deep down in your heart of hearts that this will ruin everything that is valuable and precious in your life. Listen carefully to the word of the Lord. You need to run. You need to repent. You need to flee from those things before it's too late. This is not the time to be getting caught up in this thing or getting dragged into that thing or pursuing this thing that's going to take you away from being a man after God's own heart. And Saul serves as an example of what not to do. Samuel then declared these words to Saul. He said, The Lord has sought for himself a man 
after his own heart. The people, they had made their selection for king. And now God says, I'm going to make my selection. I'm going to choose a man. And in the remainder of our time, I want to look with you at what it means to be a man after God's own heart. To consider together some of the qualities and characteristics found in such a man. Now, of course, when the Lord here in this context is speaking of the man that he was seeking, it refers to David. Now, David, we know from the scriptures, and we'll find out today in our time together in the various sessions, that he was in no way a perfect man. He was a flawed man like everyone else. In fact, he even failed miserably in his life. And yet God declared, as he looked at David, God said concerning him that he was a man after his own heart. And when David was called to be the next king of Israel, as was mentioned, the Lord spoke to Samuel and he said to Samuel, how long are you going to weep over Saul? I've rejected him from reigning over Israel. I want you to fill your horn with oil and I want you to go and I'm going to send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And so Samuel secretly goes down to Jesse's home and Jesse parades his sons before the prophet. And when the first son came out, you remember that Samuel looked at him and he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But then the Lord spoke to Samuel and he said to him, do not look at his appearance. Do not look at his physical stature. I have refused him. And then the Lord said this and how grateful I am that he said this. The Lord said, I do not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. What a marvelous truth that that is for us as men today. That if we want to be men after God's heart, that's what he's looking for. He's looking to the heart of a man to understand that the most important thing to God is not our stature, it's not our giftedness, it's not our talents, it's not our occupation, it is not our net worth, it is our heart. That is what God is concerned about. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, the base things of the world, the despised things that are over overlooked by the world in order to bring himself glory. We can easily, as men, spend so much time on other areas of life to the neglect of the most important area, which is that of the heart, the inward man. Listen, the outward man is perishing, but the inward man can be renewed day by day. The Bible says, guard your heart, for out of it springs the issues of life. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal toward him. Guys, here's what we know this morning. God is looking for men after his own heart. He looks through this room and he looks for men that have a heart for him. Men that he can show himself strong on their behalf. By the grace of God, we want to be those men. God, show yourself strong on my behalf. Lord, let me be that man that has the heart like you. After all of the sons had passed, you remember that Samuel asked if Jesse had any other sons, to which he responded concerning the youngest, David. And David was brought in from keeping the sheep. And as David stood before Samuel, he was then anointed. And his life changed from that moment on. I suppose that one of the reasons David was considered to be a man after God's own heart may have been because of the fact that David was a shepherd. He loved the sheep. He cared for the sheep. He fed them. He guided them. He protected them. You know, the Bible refers to us as the sheep of God's pasture. 
as sheep of his flock, we are loved by the great shepherd. We are kept by the chief shepherd. And our shepherd loved his flock so much that he laid down his life for the sheep. Perhaps that is why David had a heart after God's. Perhaps another reason David was a man after God's own heart was because of the fact that he was likened to a savior to the people. The people were oppressed. They were attacked by their enemies constantly in battle. Yet because David loved the people, he risked his own life repeatedly fighting within the Lord's battles. And in the same way, our Lord is a great Savior, a mighty warrior. He is our defense. He is our strong tower. He is our rear guard. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises up a standard against him. The weapons that are formed against us cannot prosper. Even the gates of heaven Hell itself, Jesus said, will not prevail against the church if the church is built upon Jesus. In the same way, our Lord is a great Savior. He loves us. He defends us. He fights for us. But as you study the life of David through the scriptures, there were certain things that David said and there were certain things that David did, I believe that were qualities of a man after God's own heart. And if you are taking notes, perhaps you would write these down or refer to them later on. But a man after God's own heart, number one, is a man who has been saved by God. Saved by God. Gentlemen, this is the place where we have to begin. You have to be born again. You cannot know God's heart if you don't know God. You can't have a heart after God if you've never been introduced to him. If you do not have a personal relationship with him. If your heart has not been renewed and transformed by the work of the Spirit of God. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, listen carefully. You're not on your way to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. You may be a good man here this morning. You may be a moral man, a hardworking man, a man of integrity, and yet none of these things can earn your salvation. If you have never received Jesus Christ into your life, the Bible says you can be physically alive, but you are spiritually flatlined and dead. Your heart is beating, but it does not beat after the heart of the living God. There has to be a change. There has to be a surrender of the will. There has to be salvation for you to have a heart after God. And here's the great news. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can have the hope of heaven. You can know that your sins are forgiven and you can have your guilt taken away. But you have to realize, you have to recognize like every man in this room that we are all sinners and need to be saved. And you come to Jesus Christ who took your place in a substitutionary death upon the cross and then rising from the grave and by placing your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you can be born again. You can be made brand new, a new creation. Amen? The Bible says that there isn't salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. And it's our prayer here today, guys, that if you're here, maybe a man invited you and you've been kind of seeking or searching and you've never receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to do it today. Don't leave this place without receiving the free gift of salvation. You will never be the same. 
A man who has a heart after God has been saved by God. But the second thing we find is not only is a man saved by God, but a man who has a heart after God is a man who sees his need for God. Sees his need for God. Surely this is the case in salvation. But when you think of David's life, this was something that he was very well aware of. He knew that without God, he would not survive. David wrote so many of the Psalms, and throughout those Psalms, you you find some of the deepest thoughts, David's heartfelt emotions being penned for us to read and, and find encouragement and even pray through. And David, in his Psalms, said things like this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. David had a heart for God. He saw his need for God. David would write, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. That is is spoken of by a man who sees his need for God. Lord, if my mother and my my father are no longer there, if if this isn't available and and there's nobody in heaven, Lord, you're it. You're everything. You're all that I need. And if we're going to be men after God's own heart, we need to come to that place where we realize, Lord, you're the end all. You're the main thing. You're the priority. And my life revolves around Jesus. That's the main thing. If Jesus is just a part of your life. Is Jesus just a, you know, one of the things that you do in your hobbies? You know, I do a little Jesus and I have a little this and I do that and I like to work out and I love this. Listen, life is to revolve around Jesus. Jesus is my life, not a part of my life. How critical that is. And David has this desire, sees his need for God. Let me ask you guys, let the Lord search our hearts this morning. Do you see your need for God? Do you have within you a deep, insatiable desire for more of him? Do you recognize? Listen, to have a heart for God, it's born out of a recognition of our need for him. David said, as the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you. It thirsts for the living God. And here's what I know. It isn't until we realize that God himself holds our very breath in his hand and that we are frail and that we are undone that we will ever begin to understand what it truly means to have a heart after God until I realize how much I need him. I know this about myself. I know that I need Jesus. I know that in every area of my life, I cannot be a godly man in this world without him. I cannot love my wife like Christ loved the church without Jesus. I can't be an example to our four children without Jesus. Lord, I need you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. You said that, I believe it. I need you, God. A man who knows that he's been saved by God in turn is very well aware of his need for God and it comes to this place thirdly. A man who has a heart after God is a man who is humble before God. Humble before God. One of the characteristics that stands out within the life of David as his story unfolds is that of his humility before God. As Nate shared today of David defeating Goliath in the Valley of Elah, it wasn't so much that David wanted to make a name for himself or to be exempt from taxes or to marry the king's daughter. That wasn't the main thing. The main thing was making a name for God. It wasn't about David. This was the Lord's victory. This was the Lord's battle. Later on, as you go through David's life, when David eventually became the armor bearer of the king and a leader of many men into battle, 
You remember that David was deceitfully being flattered by the servants of Saul about becoming Saul's son-in-law. They were puffing him up and David responded. This is after they were playing, you've slain your ten thousands. This is what he said. He said, I am a poor and lightly esteemed man. Here this guy is fighting the battles of the Lord. Here he is conquering enemy number one. Here he is recognized and they're singing his praises. And he says, I'm a lightly esteemed man. I'm nobody. David would say, the psalmist would say, I am poor and I'm needy. Yet the Lord thinks about me. That's born out of humility. He would write in Psalm chapter 8, When I consider your heavens, when I consider the work of your fingers, when I look at the moon and the stars which you have ordained, this is what I say, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you would consider him? That's born out of humility. Here is David looking at the vastness of God's creation and the beauty and the splendor and the glory of it, which reveals even the eternal Godhead within it. And he says, Who am I? Who am I that God would think about me or even consider me? That, that's a man that has a heart after God because he walks in humility. That's a humble response to the greatness and the glory of God. The Bible has much to say about the necessity of humility. We are exhorted to walk humbly with our God, to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. That before honor comes humility. And the reason that it is so critical and it is mentioned repeatedly is because of the danger of pride. Pride is an offense to God. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And that literally means God sets himself against the proud person. You're on the wrong side of God if you are walking in pride. There is always the fleshly tendency to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. To elevate ourselves or to promote ourselves. Even the disciples of Jesus who walked with him and, and served with him and, and saw and heard all of his teaching repeatedly debated among themselves who is going to be the greatest. I wonder, Peter's thinking, it's not even a question. None of you guys walked on water except me. Let's get that straight. They said, yeah, you also sank. Peter would say, listen, he changed my name. He gave me the keys. And he also called you Satan, they would respond. So there's this debate going back and forth. Who's the greatest? And Jesus hears it. And he begins to tell them, that's not how you're supposed to be. You're to walk in humility. And Jesus not only told them this, he modeled this when he, when he girded himself with a towel and began to wash their feet, showing them what it is to be humble. Paul the Apostle would write concerning the humility of Christ and the condescension of Christ in Philippians as he came and came in the likeness of man, taking on the form of a servant, a bondservant, and emptying himself of his divine privileges and dying obediently a death upon the cross, taking the place of a servant. This is the model. This is the example. And humility is the antithesis of pride. A great way to walk humbly with God is to walk closely with God because it keeps you humble. It reminds me of Isaiah. And Isaiah, as his ministry began, he began to prophesy to a rebellious nation prophetic utterances of woe to these people and woe to those people and woe to them and judgment on them. Then you come to chapter 6 and he looks up and he sees God and he says, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm unclean. My lips are unclean. The people that I'm surrounded by are unclean. God, cleanse me. Purify me. It's a sense of humility. 
And listen, humility is a prerequisite to salvation and is a prerequisite to being used by the Lord. God has nothing for the man that thinks he knows everything and has got it all figured out. But a humble man before God, a broken man before God, brokenness precedes usefulness in the kingdom of God. And if we will be broken, and if we are willing to be humbled, and let's face it, we've got nothing to be proud of. Everything we have is a gift from God. It's all because of Him. Who are we? We're nothing apart from Him. And that brings me to this place of humility before Him, which gives me a heart like His. Maybe you came here to this conference, and at home, you've been walking in pride. And you know what it is, men, to walk in pride. We all do. And we're so good at it, we find ways of justifying it. And if you're really good at it, you find scriptures to back it up. <laughs> this isn't pride. This is righteous indignation. <laughs> and you're quick to quote Ephesians, your favorite, your life verse. Some of you guys got the tattoo, Ephesians, you know, submit. You know, you have it right there and you just... You get home and you're, you know, you're proud, you point to your... Anyways, what I'm talking about here is walking in humility. And you say, but I'm right. You could be so right, you are flat out wrong. And I say this to you, I say it to myself. If we will humble ourselves, that's what our wives need. They need men who are humble, not men who are proud. Pride hardens the heart. And it hinders us from having a heart after God's heart. A man after God's heart is a man that has been saved by God, sees his need for God, walks in humility before God. And fourthly, a man who has a heart after God is filled with the Spirit of God. On the day that David was anointed by Samuel, in the presence of all of his brothers, as we said, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God came upon him. There was a new dynamic in the life of David. And for us as men to truly have a heart after God, one thing that is completely essential is we must be empowered, baptized, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is something that we need the Bible tells us that eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard and hasn't entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But then it goes on to say, but God has revealed to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of, the, of man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So if the Spirit of God knows the deep things of God and the Spirit of God knows the heart of God, the only way that I'm going to know the heart of God is if the Spirit of God reveals it to me and the only way I'm going to know that is if I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he opens up the eyes of my understanding, the eyes, literally, Paul said, of my heart to perceive and to understand and also to apply. Jesus told his disciples that they would be baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit when it came upon them. But he also told them of the work of the Holy Spirit within their lives. In John 16, he said, when the Spirit of truth has come, he's going to guide you into all truth. 
When the Spirit has come, he won't speak of his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak. He will tell you things to come. He's going to glorify me. He's going to take of what is mine. He's going to declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said to you, he will take of mine and declare it to you. Men, this is what we need. We need the baptism, the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're trying to operate in our own strength and our own effort apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, we will fail. We will grow weary. We will grow weak and we will quit. But God doesn't want us to live powerless lives. God desires that we would live powerful lives and the way that is accomplished is not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Let me ask you a question, men. Have you been baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you like those in Ephesians when Paul arrived there who were brethren, who had an understanding of the gospel, they were apparently saved, but when Paul said, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? They said, we didn't know that there was a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Have you been baptized? Have you been empowered? Have you asked? Have you ever prayed and said, God, would you baptize me with the power of your Holy Spirit? Have you ever asked God for that? If you haven't, you should. Listen, Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Have you ever asked, Lord, baptize me with the power of the Holy Spirit? I remember when that happened in my life. I grew up in a Christian home. I knew what the Word of God said. I grew up in a church that believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, taught and believes in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, operated in them. But there came a point in my life at 18 years of age, although I had a lot of knowledge up here, and I I would say that I was saved, I had not yet experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I remember being coming up to the front at the end of a chapel service and a few of us students were, and they were asked, if anybody wants to stick around and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can just come up and we'll, we'll pray for you. And when I, I thought, I want more of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life because something's missing. I, I don't feel like I, I'm, I'm grasping this and I, I want more of whatever God has for me, I want it. So if there's more to have, give it, Lord, please. And we came up and there wasn't anything weird. Nobody pushed on our foreheads or breathed on us. Nobody fell back and caught us. Nothing weird happened. Just simple prayer. Lord, we just pray you baptize these kids with the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And you know what happened? I was baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. And my life changed from that moment on. And it has never been the same. Oh, I believe in one baptism, many fillings. I pray for a fresh filling of the power of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. In fact, it was D.L. Moody that said, I pray for a fresh filling of the power of the Holy Spirit because I leak. It always comes out. I need more. I need more. But then if we're going to have a heart for God, a heart after God, it's got to be a work of the Spirit of God within us. It is God who puts it in us both to will and to do for His good pleasure. God, give me your heart. It's going to be a work of the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, we find that a man that has a heart after God, this is number five, has a love for God's Word. 
a love for God's word. David had a love for God's word. It is so obvious in Psalm 1, he wrote the very first psalm, blessing upon the life of a man who delights in the word of God. That man's going to be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. He's going to bear fruit in his season. And whatever he does is going to prosper. His leaf's not going to wither because of where he's planted, where he's rooted. And he is rooted deeply in the word of God. Jesus said in John 15, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will bear much fruit. This is a byproduct. This is a natural byproduct of the man that lives his life, builds his life, sinks his roots deep into the word of God. David loved God's word. In one of the longest chapters in the Bible, Psalm 119, we're going to go through it right now. No, we're not. But anyhow, in Psalm 119, the whole theme I encourage you to read it on your own time, is that of the Word of God. David writes of the cleansing power of the Word of God. He said, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the Word of God. He talks about the sustaining power to overcome sin found in the Word of God. When he writes, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. He speaks of the the life-giving nature found in the Word of God when he said, This is my comfort and my affliction. Your Word has given me life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Men, listen, if we're going to be men after God's own heart, we have to have a love, a passion, a desire to read the Word of God, to apply the Word of God, to memorize the Word of God. Some men don't have the heart after God because they never look at His Word. Listen, the man that loves God's Word reads God's Word, and it's where in the Word of God that God reveals His heart. You want to know what God's heart is like? Here it is. 66 books in Aaron inspired, anointed the Word of God. Not simply containing the Word of God, but the Word of God. Period. And it's within this Word that you find God's heart. If you say, Lord, I just want your heart, open the book. Open the book and find God's heart and ask him to help you to apply it and abide in it. And the promise is we will bear much fruit. A man after God's own heart, sixthly, is a man that walks in obedience to God. Obedience to God. It's not just knowing what the Bible says, but it's actually doing what the Bible says. Walking in obedience. This, this was the real, I believe, defining difference between the life of Saul and the life of David. One man walking in consistent, disobedient, making excuses for every decision, blaming every other person for his own sin, never being culpable, never owning up to the fact that he was the problem. Everybody else is the problem. And there are places you can go and you can write checks and sit on a couch and they'll tell you it's everybody else's problem, you're not responsible. Save yourself some money and repent. Get right with God and let him change you. Because the problem starts right here. In my own heart. And so we find obedience to the word of God so critical. Partial. Listen to this. Partial obedience is still disobedience. To obey, Samuel would say, is better than sacrifice. Walking in obedience is not always easy. It will require a sacrifice. There is a cost to obedience. But let's not forget this. There is also a great price to pay for disobedience and no recovery oftentimes from it. A price to pay. The will of God for our lives is part of God's heart for us. And when God reveals his will, 
We have a decision whether to be submitted to his will. Finally, in order to have God's heart, I believe, and this is where we will conclude, that we must be men that give glory to God. That we give glory to God. David would have victory over his enemies, but then he would point all the attention back to God. He knew the battle was the Lord's. He knew that the victory was the Lord, Lord's. And God's glory is something that he will not share with any man, with no person. And he shouldn't have to, because he is the only one worthy of it. He alone deserves it. Adoration, glory, praise, as the sweet psalmist of Israel would write, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Men, it's the Lord's desire to mold, to shape us after his heart. And he's looking for men just like us, flawed men who are loyal to him, that he can show himself strong on our behalf. And if we are willing to yield to the work of the Spirit, to surrender our will to the Lord's, he will do something in and through us that we haven't seen even up to this point. And if you're looking for a model to emulate, look at Jesus. For Jesus did what the Father commanded. Always those things that please the Father. He was the revelation of God's heart. And as we abide in him and as we abide in his word, he will develop within us a heart like his. I believe there are wives today that are praying at home for this to take place within us. Sons and daughters that are longing for their daddies to come home and to be those men of God who have a heart after God. Let's pray together now and let's ask God to do that work within us as we close. Dear Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you now. We ask you to search our hearts, to try them, and to see if there is any wicked way in them. To purge our hearts of the carnal nature, God, we so easily can cling to. We repent of our sins. We ask you to be merciful to us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to forgive us of our pride, of our selfishness, that you would cleanse us by the blood of your son, Jesus. We ask you to fill us now with the power of the Holy Spirit and remove the heart of stone and give us a heart after yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, brothers. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor John Randall. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor John's teaching ministry by visiting at dailywalk.org.